yeah firstly uh, thank you very much uh, adult thank you uh, for coming to my show you're welcome thank you for invite me so i've gone through a profile uh, i can see you're doing uh, a lot of work as assistant professor also you're doing a lot of stuff so i thought to tell about your work to my audience sorry hey uh, to about your tell work about to my audience my audience uh, yes the, the problem is that uh, maybe i do too much but i i'm my main job is that i'm a professor at the federal university of technology parana where i teach introduction to computer logic or to logic for computing also agile methods for software development research methods for research in computer science and right now i'm also teaching introduction to functional programming these are the courses i teach some of uh, some of them are for undergraduate students in computer engineering and in information systems and some of the courses are for graduate students in our masters of applied computing and this is only the, the teaching parts as for the research i do research in several topics of software engineering like tests and teaching how to do tests teaching how to develop a pro- develop a programs teaching how to you know, tools for teaching programming and also well, that's one part of my job that I, I really love although I am I'm technically not required to do is that I'm a podcaster. So I do what you're doing here. I interview many bright people in the software engineering area. I have a few interviews in English, but most of my interviews are in Portuguese with Brazilian and yes, mostly Brazilian people in I have three podcasts. One is about the Elixir programming language, Elixir in Foco in Portuguese. The other is about software engineering, frontiers of software engineering. And the third one is Emilia's podcast, which is about women in computing. Awesome. Uh, to talk more about uh, what you do and how you do it, uh, I want to tell about my uh, sponsor. So, uh the sponsor for this uh our podcast uh, smartcher thoughts is uh, stack adam sales and uh, customer facing teams often switch between various communication tools causing time management and visibility issues that slow down deal velocity the solution is stack adam with stack adam your team can centralize all communications within your chat tool ensuring compliance no more switching waiting or fragmented chats Sales teams reach customers where they are building trust and relationships through constant communication. Plus, Start Adam auto summarizes conversations in your CRM, eliminating data entry and speeding up deals. Join Start Adam and start building customer relationships with centralized and compliant chat. So, thank you very much again for your presence on my show. You're welcome. So how can you able to do uh, 
multiple tasks because uh, I can see you are telling computer logics and you are telling uh, programming related things. So how you are uh, gathered that much information and uh, uh, what's your background? I have a bachelor's degree in computer science a long time ago. I finished in 1994 and then I did my master's. I waited for a few years and then I did my PhD. So everything I know today is the result of studying things at least 1990, maybe a little bit before. So, for instance, logic. I studied, I started studying logic in 1990 when I was an undergraduate student. And then I started logic during my master's, also during my PhD. Right now, I, I really don't study logic that much. I, I use what I have been, what I have studied in the past. But, for instance, right now I'm, I'm trying to learn a new programming language, which is Lean. Lean is a, a programming language which can be useful for software developers that want to, to develop correct software, software that can be formally verified. Also, in the, uh, I, I'm still studying Elixir, which is also a programming language, but that it was, uh, it's more for concurrent functional programming. And so uh, that's what I have to to balance many tasks. Uh, I do a little bit of my podcasts, then teaching, then research. And I believe this is the typical life of a, a professor in a university. So uh, you are seeing technology from a long time. Uh, you have studied a uh, long time ago and uh, you saw the evolution of the technology and you saw how software is changing and uh, how the users of different softwares uh, and the software companies in the world are, uh, you know, developed themselves. So how do you define this evolution of uh, software development? Yes. When I started developing software, and it was only for fun, it was not a job. Uh, it, it was a job for other people, but not for me at, at the time. It was... I had a computer that I connected to a TV set. So a long time ago, BASIC, the, the, the name of the programming language is BASIC. Uh, and I, I, I have seen that first, programming language changed a lot. And there are many, many programming languages right now. And there was a lot in the past, but right now you can you can find a job in Java, in C, C++, Elixir, Erlang, uh, Elm, JavaScript. There are so many programming languages where you can... Because I know there are much more programming languages than programming languages for which you can find a job. And But you can find a job for many programming languages. And also, there is... This is only one part of of software engineering, which is the programming. Software engineering is much more than that. There is soft skills, hard skills. There is project management. Many, many things that you can do if you want to, if you, you, that you can or that you must do if you want to develop software. 
So, for instance, when I started studying software engineering, Agile methods didn't exist. They were created around 2000, 1999, a little bit before that. And then in 2001, there was the Agile Manifesto, and then Azure methods became more popular. And nowadays, if you go to a company, at least here in Brazil, um, most of the companies will say, oh, I'm using Azure methods as a way to develop, develop software. I'm using Scrum or I'm using some practices, some Azure practices like Kanban uh, or pair programming. So, and my point is that you can do that there there were several evolutions in the time that I have been studying computer science i i I'm not sure I'm not the best person to ask that question, but I believe there was no revolution so far, for instance, I remember that in the past there were people that thought that we were never we we weren't in, Nowadays, we wouldn't need to program, to write programs, but we still need to program. And even with GitHub Copilot or ChatGPT, which it, it's the, the latest revolution between codes in software development, many people still need to, to write programs. So I, I, I'm, there is a saying that says like that. It's very difficult to predict, especially the future. So I, I'm not going to predict. Maybe in the in the future, the, all these programming languages are going to be useful because you are going to write, oh, I want a program like that, and ChatGPT will generate a program for you. I don't know. But nowadays, we still have to to write programs. So, how do you define uh, human language and programming language? How do I define yeah. a, a programming language? A human language and a programming language. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, also, I'm not an ex expert on that, but I know that, uh, for instance, we, we, we are here speaking in English. English is a uh, human language and also Portuguese and uh, you, you English is probably not your first language so and there is Spanish and many other programming um, human languages and programming languages are m more formal languages which were created by humans so that we can instruct the computer to do something. So, uh, yes, that's a very general definition, but I believe that it applies to many programming languages, if not all. So what you like to uh, uh, tell to your students, what subject you like? I like all, all subjects uh, that I, I teach. Uh, for instance, I 
I didn't have to be teaching functional programming, but I created a course on functional programming because I wanted to to show my students how it's beautiful to write a programming language, uh, write a program in a functional programming language. Also, logic for computer science. I think that analytic tableaus, which is a, a proof method, that's a, a deductive system that we use in, in, in logic. It's a very beautiful system where you can write proofs for classical propositional logic, for instance. Yes, I, I, maybe I, I get excited with two main subjects because there are many other topics that I would love to be teaching too, but there is, there is a, a limited, a finite amount of time so I can only teach four courses. What, what topic or what subject you took for your PhD? Yes, my PhD was in logic for computer science. I implemented a tableau prover, a theorem prover, using uh, some versions of analytic tableau. It was a KE tableau, which is a system that was created by a guy, Marco Mondadori from Italy. And then Marcello D'Agostino, he he wrote several papers about that system. And also, what I liked also about my PhD, it was not only about logic, but also about how to implement those logics using a programming language. So I used Java. At that time, Java was a, a new Chinese language that was recently created. And I also used AspectJ, which was a library for doing aspect-oriented programming with Java. How many programming languages do you know? Well, this is a tricky question. If you ask me how many programming languages I wrote a small program, maybe it would be 20 or more, but I don't think this is relevant. The how many pro in how many programming languages I wrote at least uh, a program with let's say that in pages ten pages maybe only Pascal and then Java and Elixir that's it uh, I didn't do bigger programs in other programming languages only. Pascal, Java, and Elixir. So, uh, you teach a uh, master's level, also graduate level. So, how do you uh, define this change, the, the, the students in graduation and master's? Yes, the, the question is that here in Brazil, if you are an undergraduate student, for instance, in computer engineering, it's a five-year course. And after that, you can go to the market and be a software developer or a computer engineer. If, you, if the course is information systems, it's four years. And, but some people want more, want to, to delve 
to 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 go deeper in a subject, and that's what the the masters is for. The masters, if you oh, I want to really know how TDD, how test-driven development works, and I want to try to find some new to create new knowledge about test-driven development, then you do a master's for that. And our the, the master's where I teach is a professional master's, so we expect that students are working. So they, they have a job, and in their, let's say, free time, they can do something that is research, but they they don't have four-hour weeks dedicated to our masters. So engineering, how do you define this? Well, I'm not an engineer, so I I like the idea that engineers, the, the general, as I'm, I'm formally not an engineer, yeah, how do you define uh, how do you define this thing? Engineering. How do yes, engineering for me is when you build something that works. That's maybe an imprecise definition, but uh, it's different from science, where you can just study how something works and not you don't have to make something work. So, so in general, uh, uh, I understood that uh, you took different subjects uh, to teach students. So one subject is different from other subjects, like computer logic is different from software uh, engineering. So eventually, this is this is for technology industry. All these uh, subjects comes under different fields in technology industry. These students will understand uh, these subjects in order to solve some uh, uh, a problem uh, in the market and uh, in the industry. So, how do you teach them? Because you have been in technology uh, in teaching and uh, as a professor from long time, and you have studied a lot of technology. There is change uh, from the time that you have studied, right? So. How, how how you adopted yourself and how you uh, make uh, students to understand present market and teach them according to the present situation? Yes. I believe from the very beginning, these students in a computer, computer engineering, information systems, computer science, they know that what they are learning is good is possibly, I'm not saying probably, but possibly going to be outdated in a few years. So there are many things that I studied with while I was an undergraduate student that are still valid nowadays, but some are not. And actually we don't know, I can't tell my students, okay, from this, this year, it's going to be relevant in 10 years, and this is not going to be relevant. And also, sometimes something that's not going to be relevant in 10 years 
is going to help them make money today. So they must learn anyway. And the point is that students learn that they must be continuous learning. They, they, they will have to learn. And I believe most, most of them, they, they accept that fact easily and they, they do that. They, uh, three years after, after they finish our course, they, they are reading books or they are listening to podcasts. They are doing online courses and everything usually works for them. So how do you teach usually? What is your way of uh, explaining anything? I try to make the students do as much work as possible. But, I mean, I, I, I don't want them to depend on me for that. See? So, for instance, in this Introduction to Functional Programming course, I told them, go to Exorcism. Exorcism.io is a great site for learning how to program in several languages. They have tracks, different tracks for different languages. They have a track for Elixir, a track for Erlang, a track for ML, several different programming languages. And... There they can learn by themselves, not, not exactly by themselves, but they, they can learn by trying to solve problems and ask for my help or for the help, asking for help from the mentors in the exorcism site. So that's what I want them to do. I want them to be as, 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 how can I say? I want them to be independent of me. I don't want them to be, oh, I, I'm only going to do that because the professor asked me to do. No, I want them to go and learn by themselves. So you learned uh, in your life and now you're making people to learn about what you learned. So when you're teaching something, uh, do you see yourself in them? Um, that's a, a good question. Uh, I, I really don't remember myself. I as a, what I was as a, a student. So I really don't can't say that I see myself in them because I don't remember how I how I was. That's that's it. So you you saw different student. Uh, problems uh, as a professor so different questions coming from different mindsets and uh, uh, as a professor how uh, how is that experience uh, just a moment so, sorry sure
sorry again. I'm back, and now I, I believe I have solved the, my dog problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, could you repeat the question? So, different mindsets, uh, your students are having different kinds of doubts. And uh, you listening to them as a professor and you trying to solve different questions from coming from different uh, students. How is that experience? Well, first, uh, I, I know that as someone who has learned the subject, usually a long time ago, sometimes I, I cannot understand exactly What's the doubt that this student has? And that's, I believe this is what's called the curse of knowledge. You know that for so much time that you don't remember what is not knowing something. But as, I, I mean, I have, I have many students, not all of them ask questions and when they, they ask I just answer I don't think much oh that person has this style and that other person has this other style I just try to solve the, the, the students problem try to help them sometimes I for instance one of my logic students had a doubt last week and then I solved the problem using video and I sent that to the student and he understood where he was because uh, he, he wasn't he, he wasn't being able to solve a problem so I solved it for that student and oh now I know how, how to do it and that's what we usually do uh, well at least for the, the kind of some kinds of problems for some other kinds of problems you you can't give an answer you can say oh the answer is this no you you can you must do something like this oh go to that book go to, read that text and then you'll be able to understand to find the solution by yourself so what is your expertise sorry What's what is your expertise? Yeah, where where you are an uh, expert in, in which uh, subjects? Oh, inside computer science. Yes, the problem <laughs> I would say is that in the the last few years I became much more of a generalist than an expert. I used to be an expert in a very narrow field of logic for computer science during my PhD, which was Tableau Proofers. But then, after some time, I stopped following the literature on Tableau Proofers to dedicate myself more to Azure methods in software engineering. And also, uh, a few years has have passed, and now I'm more interested in knowledge exchange between software developers developers because i know that there are many you, this is related to that question in that and software developers they 
for instance, they finish a course, not all software develop, developers have a graduate, an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree, but for those that have, they still have to, they, they still have to be able to be up to date with the current technologies. How do they do that? For instance, some software developers go to meetups. I don't know if there's any meetup in your city, but here in Curitiba, there are many meetups. There are meetups for... Uh, before the pandemic, there used to be much more, but <laughs> there was a meetup for Elixir, there was a meetup for Java, for Ruby, and for other technologies. And I know that in many other cities, this happened. Some people don't like to attend meetups. They prefer to buy a book and read a book. Some people prefer to go to YouTube and find a video about the subject. Some people are on Telegram groups discussing subjects related to, to their work. And that's what, what I, I say. It's, it's knowledge exchange. I mean, it's not that in a community of developers, there's not one teacher and many students. No, there are, all of them are at the same time or at different times, teachers and students. And one teaches the other, one shares knowledge with the other. So that's why, uh, that's mainly my focus of research in the last few years. So you are students going into the market and working and uh, helping different organizations. And uh, you being a, uh, uh, you being teacher for them and uh, you being professor for the subject that they learned. And uh, they are selling their skills today in different companies. How that helps you? I'm not sure I understood the, the question, but l let me talk a bit about my, my students. I, I have had several students, either undergraduate or graduate students, I'm going to talk more about the graduate students because those are, are the students that spend more time with me. And for instance, there is one that is a Python developer. So after he finished his master's degree, he went to work for a company and he was already working for an organization. Now he works for a different company as a Python developer, and I hope that what he has learned during his master's degree is somehow useful for his work now. There is this, this, there are many other students which were not my students, but were, which were students from the same master's degree where I teach, and they work for companies in Netherlands, in Germany, Canada, and also in Brazil. So, the, I believe it, it, it's difficult to say if they, they did a master's degree because they loved to study and then as they loved to study, they continued studying and then they got great jobs or they got, <laughs> it, it, 
it w would not be fair to say that, oh, they got great jobs because they finished their masters with us. <laughs> I don't know that, but I, I know that there are many bright people, even people that don't have a graduate degree. Here in Brazil, there are many that they have, um, great jobs and they are doing great work for great companies. Some even, some even are founding their own companies. So these students, they usually in our area in computer science, they usually find a, a good job after they, they finish our course. So, so these uh, technology skills, these technology uh, 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 tools that you are using, uh, understanding all these things, uh, uh, getting knowledge about this. What do you say about today's advanced uh, artificial intelligence? Yes, artificial intelligence. It's it's hard nowadays to keep track of everything that's happening in the artificial intelligence. Some people are very excited about that because, oh, no, everything is going to change. Some people are more prudent. Oh, some things are going to change for sure, but that that has always happened with new technologies. So I'm more on the prudent side. I believe that okay, artificial intelligence is great. We are going to use, I use in my day-to-day -day work, I use the free version of ChatGPT, for instance. But I can't see right now that it's going to change everything for all software developers. Maybe I'm wrong. So I I'm, cannot say, I, as I told you, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in the future. Future. But, uh, but yes, but I, as a, a, a messenger, I'd say, oh, keep track of what is happening. Oh, there's GitHub Copilot. Go find what's GitHub Copilot in ChatGPT and so on. So different technology companies in the industry, in the global market today are working on AI and uh, developing uh, uh, focusing on AI and uh, trying to solve problems of humans. So we have different technology tools and services and softwares. So do you think uh, AI is going to replace software development? I hope not. I hope they they don't. Um, but I cannot say that for sure. Based upon your experience that you have been in technology studies from long time, you saw uh, the constant change that is happening in the world. Yes, that that's what, what I told before. Uh, I have seen many promises in the past. Oh, after this, develop, software developers are going to be unnecessary. We won't need software developers anymore. And this never happened. Will it, it happen now? I don't know. At first, I think it's not going to happen, but maybe I'm wrong. So, uh, teaching or, uh, I mean, communicating with uh, students, 
which is human beings and computer uh, communicating with computers so how do you define this communication difference between communicating with machine and human it's very very different because students they have emotions they have feelings and they have families they they have to take a bus to go to to school and then go back to ho- home go back home and computers they understand a formal language and it's not really communication you are giving orders like you the computer cannot choose to not do what you want it to do so i i think there are very different um, kinds of communication and uh, you study logic and uh, you understand emotion so how do you define this logic versus emotion logic and emotion yeah they are very different subjects because logic is is related to what you can what's the right word deduce from some facts from some propositions you have a set of propositions and rules and in what can you conclude what what's what's there in those facts and propositions and rules that you can what can you extract from that what can you conclude for that uh, this is not real related in any way to emotions emotions are a person for instance this is something that i i'm not sure there is science behind that but some people like a subject because they like the teacher and they don't like a subject because they don't like the teacher this is not rational <laughs> but that happens and maybe it probably happened to me uh, in in several several moments for instance uh I told you that I like to to study two programming languages. Actually, it's three, but I, I mentioned two programming languages: Elixir and Lean. The third, the third programming language that I I try to study is Erlang. Why? Because Elixir was created by a Brazilian. Erlang is the programming language that was created in the 80s by three people and Joe Armstrong, Robert Verding and Mike Williams and that Jose Valin which is the creator of who is the creator of Elixir Jose Valin took a look at Erlang oh I like that language but I want to create a new language based on Erlang so that's why Elixir was born because he wanted to create a new language based on Erlang. So I started studying Elixir mainly because it was created by a Brazilian and I am a Brazilian. This is more emotion <laughs> than logic. And then a few years later later 
I discovered that there was another programming language that was created by a Brazilian, which is Lean. And there is a, a third one, which is known all over the world, which is Lua. But yes, I, I believe Lua, there's already many people that know a lot about Lua. So I, right now I'm more focused on Elixir, Lean, and Erlang, because that those are languages that are for with which I, I am emotionally attached to them. Not because there is some rational reason for studying those languages. So today, uh, internet connected uh, uh, all the countries, and uh, in different countries, we have uh, different spoken languages and different human beings. There is a lot of diversity. So, like how humans have uh, different uh, uh, languages in order to communicate with each other. Is it important for computers and softwares to have different programming languages? Can't we have one? And that's funny because I, I, I was, I just told you that Lua was created by a Brazilian, or actually by three Brazilians, but there is one Brazilian that is the guy that mostly talks about the language, Roberto Yerajzulinski, and he gave a talk a few months ago called Why So Many Languages? I didn't watch the talk. I, want, I wanted to, to watch the talk, but I, I believe that, that as in... Because why people speak different languages because they, they live in different places and they have different needs and there are historical reasons. I believe for computers, for, for programming languages, it's the same. We sometimes, for instance, Erlang is great, but Elixir has some resources that Erlang doesn't have. So we need Elixir and Erlang. We also need Lean. Maybe in the future there some of some languages are going to disappear because they are not going to be necessary anymore, and some others will appear and take their places. And for me that's good. Uh, as long as we don't have to be to master twenty languages, <laughs> which would probably be impossible. But it's great if you oh I, I, I have to learn five languages during my career. That's okay. I, at least for me, I believe it's it's possible to, to do in a full career. And if the market, if the companies need that, that's okay. Because the, the experience that I see developers sharing is that for some applications, for instance, they, they use it use it to do something with programming language X. And then they discover discover programming language Y and say, oh, it's much easier to do this with Y than it was to do that with X. So why why don't we embrace that idea and so no, from now on this kind of system I'm going to do with Y and not with X. Uh, what do you do with the podcast? 
I have three podcasts. My the podcast with has which has more a larger audience is the Fronteiras da Engenharia de Software. This is Portuguese, but in English it would be something like Frontiers of Software Engineering, where we interview. I have a co-host, Professor Maria Claudia Emer, and we interview mostly professors. Sometimes we interview researchers. All our interviewees were PhD in have a PhD in some area, and so they have studied one or more subjects from software engineering in depth. The latest, right now, as as we speak, the latest interview was that was published was with Leonardo de Moura, which is the creator of Lean. After no, before that, I, we have interviewed Leonardo Murta, which is a professor here at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. No, not exactly Rio de Janeiro. I don't know how to translate, but it's a federal university in Rio de Janeiro. It's UFF, and he works with. How can I say that? It's versioning, software versioning, not only code versioning, but software versioning. And we've, we've had, we have had many interviews, many, many, 40, yes, we have recorded 41 and published 40. And I, I really love because I learn a lot from those professors and researchers. And that's my as, as, as I told you, my podcast with the larger audience. There is also the Elixir in Foco, which in, in English would be translated as Elixir in Focus, and where I talk, I usually talk, we, we are four there, four, four co-hosts, we talk with people that work with Elixir, and finally we have the Emilia's podcast, which is about women in computing, where we interview women that work in different areas of computing as professors, as software developers, as network analysts, and so on. So, uh, can you share your web links with my audience so that they can see the work that you are doing and learn from you? Share what? The links? Yeah. Can you spell it? Your presence, online presence. Oh yes, my the social network that I like the most is it's where you found me is Twitter. Now it's called X, but I still I, most people know by Twitter. And my my account there is Adolfo. NT, because my name is Adolfo Neto, but I never, I, I wasn't able to get Adolfo Neto there, so I found Adolfo NT without the E and without the O, Adolfo NT. And there on my 
Twitter account, you can find a link where you go to my webpage and my other social accounts. I'm on Mastodon too, adolfoenti at jenserver.social. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and but Facebook is mostly for for family-related things, but and also on Instagram. I have a channel on YouTube, one channel which only has video in English is in, in English is Elixir in Erlang with Adolfo Neto. I believe it's Elixir Erlang in the Bean with Adolfo Neto. This video, this channel has only videos in English, but I also have a, a channel in Portuguese, Adolfo Neto. And I believe that's it. That those are the, the most important links for, for finding me. If you send me a direct message, you, on Twitter, if you send me an email, I, I'm going to answer. I'll put your uh, 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 Twitter uh, link on the screen. People who find our video on YouTube or anywhere in the internet can able to see it and can able to uh, learn from you. And uh, at last, uh, what is your observation about my work? Have you seen videos on my YouTube channel? Sorry, but I, I I wasn't able to to watch your videos because these few weeks have been very hectic. Are still uh, so many. I was part of the organization of one event and then another event and then I had to replace uh, a colleague. Sorry, but I I I promise I will take a look at your your videos later. So. Uh, my videos are about, uh, I interview people from different parts of the world, more, uh, more than 100 countries, uh, uh, experts, uh, I have interviewed, uh, and, uh, who are from mainly from technology. I interviewed people who worked with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, who are into Microsoft, Amazon, and Netflix, all the technology companies and, uh, from US, UK, Canada, uh, Germany, uh, all European countries. So I'm trying to explore uh, technology and technology experts and also uh, uh, human beings from different parts of the world uh, who belongs to completely uh, from different places and different professions. Also, I interviewed police officers, all uh, doctors, professors, all kind of all kind of people for my channels. I did more than 700 interviews in the last three years. So. As a professor, uh, you you see a lot of students. Uh, uh, you as a professor, uh, you have a lot of experience. What I'm going to learn from this uh, global uh, communication system and uh, with global experts from all over the world, how this is going to helpful for me in my career? You mean what is is going to be useful for you or for my students? For me, how it is this work that I'm doing? Yes, uh, it it's good because you are practicing your communication skills, right? And also, you learn a lot from from the people. You probably learn from the people you are interviewing. But uh, I would say that you also have to choose to focus on at least for your not exactly for your interviews, but for your personal. You want to be a software developer? Do you want to uh, be a software developer or not? 
uh, I actually did masters in software engineering, also bachelor's in computer science and engineering. Right now, I'm working for a UK company as a DevOps engineer and a software developer. Exactly. So you you are read a software developers a de- DevOps engineer. It's a kind of software developer. So you have to keep on. In parallel, you have to keep on focusing on your studies, on your on the on the subjects that are part of your job. That's what I'm trying to say. Because, for instance, if I and this is this is something that I can do because I'm a professor, I'm a teacher. So I oh I I learn a little bit of Elixir here, a little bit of Ling, a little bit of Erlang, and a little bit of of anything. It's okay for me, but for a software developer, I wouldn't advise that. I would say, okay, no, choose one of the three and focus on that one. And then you, you'll be able to have a job in, for instance, in, for, for these three languages, the, 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 the language that has a larger market is Elixir. Choose Elixir, study Elixir, try to find a job in Elixir. And then after you you have a job, a good job in your free time, study study Erlang or Ling or or Gling or other pro- programming languages. So if my students are, if they watch your videos in their free time, they are probably see people from very different areas and oh. Oh, this week I want to study this, and that week I'm. If they they keep jumping from one subject from to another subject every week, they are not going anywhere. They have to focus on something. That's my point. So uh, uh, I'm I'm an engineer uh, by profession, and uh, I'm doing interviews in my free time. So that's my full time job. So engineering is something that. Uh, uh, talking with computer and working for a software and uh, looking at the screen and uh, focusing on uh, uh, the coding uh, of the application. Uh, that is something, communication that is happening between me and machine and me talking like this, communicating with human. So uh, that engineering, an engineer and uh, a person who is people's person. So how this combination is going to helpful in my future. I believe that communication can be very helpful in for for software engineering engineers. For instance, some people go in a more DevRel career, go into a DevRel career. Some people just go to project management, and some people just keep their technical track keeping a technical track in their company, but they have to be a mentor and to younger developers. And for this, you need communication skills too. So what people say, oh, these are soft skills. These soft skills I, I see, and, and this, is, this is tricky because, as I told you, I'm not a, a software developer. I'm, I'm a professor. But I see software developers saying that, that soft skills, that communication skills, that, that learning how to read emotions in a, 
Nicole, and you're smiling right now. So uh, it, this is important for your career. Not only you don't, it's not enough to be, oh, I, I, I know more elixir than anyone in the world, but I'm a boring person and I, I keep fighting with people, even on GitHub. This is not going to be good for your career. But if you know how to, oh, I, I, I can be a nice person. I can, I can give a constructive comment, a, a good feedback that's not going to hurt that person. Then it's going to be better, at least in Brazil, because I, I, I have learned that, for instance, in Russia, they value honesty. I, I, I heard that in an audiobook. In Russia, they, they value honest. But in Brazil, and I believe in the U.S. too, we don't want you to be a hundred percent honest. If you if you see my my code and think it sucks, don't say to me it sucks. Say, oh, it could be much better. <laughs> you you have to to learn how to communicate. Awesome. So can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Of course. And also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Of course, yes. So, can you spell your uh, podcast uh, to my podcast listeners so that they can uh, look at it and can uh, learn from you? My podcast, if if you if you don't speak Portuguese, you will understand anything. You won't understand. Oh, but yes, my my podcast, which is Frontiers of Software Engineering which in Portuguese is Fronteiras, F-R-O-N-T-E-R-A-S, space, D-A, space, E-N-G-E-N-H-A-R, no, H-A-R-A-I, a space, it, it's very long, sorry, it's better if you will leave a link. But there is one interview there in English. It's called Software Security with Laurie Williams. That, that's a, an episode that everyone that's watching or listening can, can go. If you go to, to Spotify or YouTube and you type Software Security, Laurie Williams, Laurie Williams is a great professor from the North Carolina State University in Raleigh, Raleigh, United States of America. And if you go there, you can listen or watch that interview. So keep going. Uh, I believe that a lot of people are going to learn a lot from you and uh, they're going to develop themselves and uh, you would be the reason for the development and for their uh, growth. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you again for your time. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.